Thank you for your presence tonight for the purpose of standing up for Jesus, for standing for his cause and for being a part of the army of the Lord. And you are here tonight because you care about spiritual things, because either you are a Christian or perhaps you're thinking about becoming a child of God. Whatever state you are in, we welcome you and hope that our study tonight will be helpful that it will be hopeful, and that it will be encouraging to those of us who are trying to be better people, better Christians, better servants of our Lord. If you'd like to open your Bibles and follow along tonight to 2 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to read just a verse there in just a moment or two. We're going to spend uh, just a couple of moments in the New Testament while we then explore the Old Testament almost exclusively from one particular book of the Old Testament. Glad you're here, and as Brother Brian pointed out, we're very thankful for our visitors, for your presence, and for the encouragement that you provide us, and hope that you'll have opportunity to come back and be with us again. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 is a required memorization verse for any Christian who thinks about preaching, uh, if he's going to preach once in his life, or he's going to preach a hundred or a thousand times in his life. One needs to be familiar with 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. That doesn't mean that those who never intend to preach, whether that be because of your gender or because that's just not your preference or that's not where your talent is, that you don't need to memorize that verse as well. But Paul, in writing to a fellow preacher who was younger than him, who needed some encouragement and needed some sort of uh, exhortation, says, I want you to preach the word. He says, I want you to be ready in season and out of season. He says, I want you to convince, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. And this particular passage is so important for those of us who are faithful to God or are trying to be faithful to God because it is a passage that reminds us of the importance of speaking when it's convenient and speaking when it's inconvenient. I guess a glaring example of that would be if I were to uh, preach for four Sundays in a row about God is love and filled with all kinds of kindness and he accepts everybody and heaven is the home for all creation and we do that for four weeks, you may be part of the picture because that is true and that God does love everyone and God does accept everyone but it's conditional on their choice, on their matter of fact decision to do what the Lord asks us to do. Heaven is real, but so is hell. God's love is real, but so is his justice. And we have to balance those things out and make sure that we preach the easy things as well as we preach the hard things. And so tonight, as we talk about a person who has a temper, I wanted us to start with that particular passage because this is a biblically specific sermon. And I say that because sometimes when you do sermons like this, someone might scratch their head and say, hmm, I wonder who he's talking about. (laughs) Well, let me share with you, first of all, that the title, He's Got a Temper, leads us to the first conclusion, and that this is not a gender-specific sermon. I'm not here to attack men and not to talk about women having a temper as well. I'm talking about mankind having tempers. 
and losing their tempers and not being able to temper themselves as the Bible commands us. It is also not person-specific. I, I don't have anyone in mind. Uh, I have people in the world that I've known in the past in mind, but I don't have anyone in mind. And I say that just because if this is something that steps on your toes, uh, you can be upset with me but be more upset with the fact that you are the one that needs to make the correction. In fact, all of us have perhaps a temper at some point in our lives where we've got to correct ourselves and kind of pull back and say, I need to be a little more cautious about the way that I react to others and that I deal with others. I would suggest that when you think about the subject of having a temper, of being a hot-tempered individual, that there are typically two types of people, and these are the extremes of the types of people. That is long-fused, patient, never having a temper, never flying off the handle, people who are unflappable, individuals who say, you can push every button in, in, in that you can come up with, and I'm not going to react. That doesn't mean that I don't care. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to get upset. It just means that I'm, just not, I, I'm, I'm not going to react inappropriately. And you may say, that describes me fairly well, and that may be true. But going back to the outside, I think all of us probably struggle just a little bit with a temper from time to time if we're pushed just the wrong way. But this may describe you, or you may think of someone that you care about, and you say, that person is a long-fused, patient, unflappable, long-tempered person. The other thing is someone who is short-fused, someone who is quick-tempered, and that's someone that you watch out for. And we've all known those individuals. It might even be a fictional character. You might even be thinking about a television show or a movie where a person has been pictured as a short-tempered individual who just, at the snap of the fingers, just flies off the handle, gets upset, yells, maybe speaks profanity, and says things that are inappropriate and things that are hurtful. We want to be individuals who tilt towards the former and who avoid the latter. And that's not just because we're trying to be good human beings. It's because we're trying to be Christians who are like Jesus the Christ. I would submit that everyone has a temper that if it's just touched the right way, that if we're not careful, we can lose our temper. And we need to be cautious about that, not because I say so, but because the scriptures say so. Because as we're going to study together in our, in, in our time together tonight, God's word has some strong words about the dangers of our tempers. And this is especially true in one particular Old Testament book that we studied just a few months ago with our brother David, uh, and that is in the book of Proverbs. And so we're going to spend a, a, a lot of time in Proverbs tonight. If you want to open to chapter 19 of the book of Proverbs, we're going to look at one little verse and make three applications from that at the outset of our study. Let me suggest to you that there are four big points that the Bible makes, or at least four kind of broad uh, points that the Bible makes about the subject of being quick-tempered, of using the profane language, of going off the handle, of being too upset too quickly. And it's not to say that we can't be upset and be righteous. There are times where we need to be upset. When there is sin in our lives, when there's sin in the lives of those that we care about, when we see unrighteousness prevailing, it should cause us to react and say, that's not right, and be upset about that. But let me suggest to you that, first of all, to be mature, to be mature 
One must control his temper. And I think all of us want to be mature individuals. I referenced this just a week or so ago. And Lord willing, in two weeks, I'm going to talk more about biblical maturity. But I wanted to spend just five or six minutes on the subject of maturity in the sense that we as Christians are striving to be mature. I would make the argument that if a Christian doesn't admit, hey, I'm working to be mature then he's immature or she's immature. That is, we never get to the place where we are, I finally reached spiritual maturity. We grow more mature each year, hopefully as Christians, but we never get to the place where we say, I have finally reached spiritual maturity. My biblical knowledge is where it needs to be. My biblical wisdom is where it needs to be. My ability to talk to others is where it needs to be. No, we're constantly working on on that and improving. And as I mentioned, this is true for us as Christians because Christ-based humility requires that we have this uh, wherewithal to admit that we have a desire and a need for growth. And that brings us to Proverbs chapter 19. And I want to read just one little verse, and that's chapter 19, verse 11, and make some observations about this. He says, the discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. Let me suggest to you that there are three observations that we can make from this single brief passage. The New King James, and we'll make reference to a different translation in just a moment, says the discretion of a man makes him slow to anger. Most of us get that point, and the glory is to overlook a transgression. We know what discretion is, that when a person shows discretion, uh, that's usually a sign of wisdom. Not always, but typically that's the case. But that being said, let me suggest to you that wise discretion is the opposite of unwise impulsiveness. Wise discretion is the opposite of unwise impulsiveness. What does it mean to be impulsive? Impulsive means to react quickly. Now, there are times that we need to react quickly in life for our own safety, spiritually or physically. Certain jobs require you to act and be impulsive and to act quickly. But unwise impulsiveness is where we say things that we immediately regret. Have you ever said something maybe in an argument with a friend or with a coworker? And the moment, literally as you can see the words coming out of your mouth, you're already regretting the words coming out of your mouth. I mean, most of us have been there done that. And it may not be that we said anything that was sinful or anything that was vulgar, but it's like, oh, that's going to come out the wrong way, and I'm going to regret this, but I'm saying it, and it's too late now. And it's one of those things that once the words come out, we can't take them back. And as someone rightly said, it is true that words do hurt. Go back, if you would, in the New Testament, even though we're going to spend most of our time in the book of Proverbs. But in James chapter 1, verse 19, I couldn't help but think about this passage when reading Proverbs 19, verse 11, where he says, My brethren, my friends, my siblings, my fellow followers of Christ, let every man be swift to hear, be slow to speak, and be slow to wrath. We understand that. But applying that is a challenging thing to do. We need to be individuals who are quick to listen, but are slow to respond. Secondly, 
we as mature saints don't have to always, quote, be right. Now, I should have put an asterisk next to that because we do have to always be right. When it comes to biblical interpretation, when it comes to biblical practice, when it comes to things of a spiritual or biblical nature, we've got to be right. But I'm talking about in matters of life where people want to debate about everything. You do not have to be the person that is always right. In fact, again, in the New Testament, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, talks about a servant of the Lord. Do you want to be a servant of the Lord? Well, that's a silly question, or else you probably wouldn't be here. Of course I want to be a servant of the Lord. Well, in 2 Peter chapter 2, it's like 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says, A servant of the Lord, which is someone like you and me, we're trying to be that, must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, and be patient. And generally, we focus on just one of those things, but I want to focus on two words. One is, must not be quarrelsome, and secondly, that he must be patient. You and I have to be individuals who, uh, we're not always right. We don't always have to quarrel. We don't always have to argue. And if someone says, well, you're wrong on this, and we're not talking about a spiritual matter, sometimes we just have to say, that's just okay. Sometimes you just say, okay. And sometimes they won't like that you argue back with them. And there are people in the world who like to be overly argumentative. That ought not be us as Christians. Again, this is not the easiest message for me to preach because I know that I'm dealing with 150 to 200 human beings who have faults and who do do sometimes have tempers. But it's the right message because it comes from God's word. And thirdly, let me suggest to you that sensible people keep their cool. Sensible people keep their cool. There's an alternative translation to Proverbs 19 where it actually says sensible people control their temper. I'm not a big fan of the translation, but I do like that particular phrase. Sensible people control their tempers. We want to be sensible people, not just for the spiritual benefit of reflecting God, but because it makes the world in which we live a better place. And it makes humanity better when we are sensible. We control our tempers. Someone comes to you at the workplace and says something that angers you, you have the option of reacting poorly or reacting sensibly. You have the option of of doing like the world says and maybe saying words that are inappropriate or reacting in an inappropriate way, or saying, I'm going to be calm about this in your head. I'm going to be calm about this. I'm going to be sensible about this. Now, let's talk about this and work out our differences in a mature, adult, Christian-like manner. Let me suggest you a second observation, and that is a quick-tempered man is a fool. And the word fool is is a strong word, and I understand that. And I'm not here trying to insult someone. And it may be that there's someone here who says, I, I am quick-tempered. That does, and I'm going to end with this. That doesn't mean that you're, you're, you're lost cause. <laughs> it doesn't mean that, oh, just throw up your hands and forget it. Preacher man says, I've got a quick temper, so therefore I'm over with. That's not what we're saying at all. But the Bible does say that a quick-tempered man, and it uses the word fool to describe people who are void of wisdom and void of understanding in the eyes of God, but not necessarily in man's eyes. I want to look at four passages all in the book of Proverbs. We're going to look at these in pretty quick succession. 
starting in chapter 12. So we're staying in the book of Proverbs for the next four passages, and we're looking at Proverbs chapter 12, and we're going back to verse 16. A fool's wrath is known at once, but a prudent man covers shame. We're not going to give too much commentary to these verses. We're just going to let the verses speak for themselves here. But he says a fool's wrath is known at once. You know it. But a prudent man or a sensible man covers shame. Drop down to chapter 14 and verse 17. Maybe it's on the same page or same section of your Bible. It says a quick-tempered man acts foolishly. And a man of wicked intentions is hated. In the same chapter, in verse 29, he who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive or short of temper or short of spirit exalts folly. That, imp- that impulsive word in the English Standard Version, it's using the phrase hasty temper. We understand what that means. And then finally in chapter 29, very late in the book of Proverbs, in verse 11, there the wise man says, A fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. The New American Standard actually goes as far as to say that a fool always loves or always loses his temper. Very similar to the passage In Proverbs 19, verse 11, where it says sensible people control their temper. Where here it says a fool always loses his temper. But here's the thing. What makes a quick-tempered person, whether it be a man or a woman, foolish? Well, you say the Bible makes it that. Well, I, I get that. But why does the Bible characterize them that way? Let me suggest to you two things here. Number one is that a reputation is earned by one's own pattern of behaviors. Remember what is written in Proverbs 22 and verse 1? It says, a good name is precious, is valuable. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver and gold. And there are other passages in the book of Proverbs and elsewhere in Scripture that talk about the importance of our reputation. When people hear your name, when they hear your first name and last name together, maybe it's, it's a work association, maybe it's where you went to school or college, maybe it's a church familiarity. When people hear your name, what do they immediately think of? They may think of your occupation. They may think of your family. They may think of the first time you met, all these just innocent things that just come to mind. But invariably, if someone says, well, really, I want you to tell me about Mr. Smith or Mrs. Jones or whoever it is we're talking about, what do you think about that person? Well, he's a quality person. She's a quality individual. Maybe they're very spiritually minded, spiritually wise, uh, biblically sound, a person of integrity, never tell you a lie. I would trust that person with my children's lives. You know, these are the kind of things we want said about us because we want to have that kind of reputation. But the reputation that we have as individuals is funny, and funny in not a ha-ha way, in that we can lose it very quickly, right? And we can make a choice to where now people hear our name and they say, well, he was a person of integrity, of honesty, uh, but now I don't feel that way anymore because of his choices that he made last year. 
We've all known people that we held in high esteem at one point, and then they made choices in their lives that led to their reputation tanking. And it's hard to get that back. It's kind of like trust. You build up trust with your parents. You build up trust with your loved ones. You build up trust with your employer. But once you lose that trust, it is hard to build it back. And that's something that we've got to be careful about. Let me suggest to you, secondly, that having a quick temper means being void of sobriety. I'm not talking about drinking, although sometimes when a person drinks, a person is going to have a problem with his or her temper. But let me suggest to you this, you will do and you will say things that you regret. And that's the whole idea of sobriety, that having a sober-minded approach is that I'm thinking through the choices that I am making. Let me suggest to you, number three, that a quick-tempered man makes life more difficult for everyone. And that's why we want to avoid quick tempers. We want to work on that. And, and again, if you're here and saying, well, I, I struggle with my temper, uh, let's work on that so that life is better for individuals. Go back to Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 18. In Proverbs 15, verse 18, the Bible says, a wrathful man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger allays contention. That's a beautiful passage. I like, I actually prefer the ESV and the New American Standard, those of you that are reading from that particular passage, where it says a hot-tempered man stirs up strife. You know, quick-tempered people make life a lot more difficult for everyone. That's true in the workplace. Uh, That would be true in a church environment. And fortunately, generally in most church environments, you have generally people who are are lower tempered because they, they've learned that behavior in being Christians and, and being a follower and a student and a disciple of Jesus Christ. But being quick tempered makes more life a lot more difficult uh, on the roads. I mean, when you're driving and you're going 45 in a 45 or thereabouts and someone gets behind you and wants to go 60, you better watch out for their temper and, you know, the idea is, is these days you got to be careful because you never know what could happen at the next stoplight where they pull up next to you. You'd be fearful for your life because of people's quick tempers. And that's the extreme of a quick temper, and I get that. Most of us don't go to that extreme. But the opposite is patient individuals, patient people. The New American Standard says that a patient person calms dispute. And let me suggest to you that we need to be people who can calm disputes. Let me suggest to you three individuals who are present with us tonight who should be very good at calming disputes, according to the New American Standard. And it's more than just three. We should all be capable of that. But while 1 Timothy, cha- 1 Timothy chapter 3 nor Titus chapter 1 doesn't necessarily talk about this in the the qualifications or the characteristics of shepherds, shepherds need to be able to calm disputes. Because there are going to be some times where there's a a disagreement among brethren. I told this story maybe uh, six to nine months ago. It's a great story because it's a true story, but I'm going to tell it again and hope that you forgot about it. I hope you don't forget about anything else I ever say, but I hope you forget about the story so I can continue to use those again, right? But the story is, is that 
there was the, the young man who was learning to preach and the older man who was teaching him to preach. And I'm not going to use names because some of you would know the name of the older preacher. And they got into a dispute one day. And the dispute was over how you point your finger towards, at that time, the whiteboard or to the chalkboard. You don't point this way. You don't point that way. You point this way to get your point across. And now you know who I'm talking about. Some of you do, don't you? <laughs> and the fact of the matter is, is that heated up. And it just so happened that the fiance of the young preacher had come to the church building that day to clean or do something. And she saw the older preacher and the younger preacher getting ready to go at it. Not necessarily physically, but they're really having this dispute. And she got on the phone and she called one of the elders and she called Everett Dickey. And Everett is one of my heroes. Uh, he passed away some 34 years ago this December. And he called Brother Everett down and Everett calmed the dispute as a shepherd should. And might I submit that we need more Everett's? He's not a perfect individual. He's a human being, but he was an elder of the church who I got to know at a very, very young age and learned to respect, and he was able to come in and calm that dispute, say everything's going to be okay, bless your heart, bless your heart. <laughs> There's more than one way to point <laughs> when you preach a sermon. But I like the idea of someone who's able to come in and just lower the temperature, and that's one of the things that our brothers Gerald and John and Phil are able to do. If they're not able to do that, I, I would go so far as to say that we have an issue. But whether they are shepherds or whether we are deacons or whether we are preachers, whether we are Bible class teachers, whether we are Christians and saints and brethren who come together, we all have to be able to say, you know what, let's calm this down a little bit here. Let's do our best to lower the temperature because... Quick-tempered men make life more difficult. We want to make life better. And let me suggest to you that, fourthly, quick tempers and sin go hand in hand. Having a quick temper does a person no good and does a person lots of bad, lots of ill. Let me suggest to you three things as we close out our study together tonight. Number one is that hot-tempered people abound in sin. Turn, if you would, to the book of Proverbs, chapter 29, and verse 22. Proverbs 29, verse 22. It says, an angry man stirs up strife. A furious man abounds in transgression. I would go as far as to suggest that the exponential nature of sin is one of the most dangerous aspects of sin. In that when we sin, we then do it again, maybe to cover up the sin. And then we lie to cover up that. So one sin blossoms into three or four or five sins. And we've seen that throughout the Old and the New Testaments where men and women, you think about David and Bathsheba, and you think about all the different catastrophic things that transpired because of one initial sin, because of one poor choice. One version actually uses the phrase, a hot-tempered man commits all types of sin. So in some ways, it's kind of like a gateway sin. Having a hot temper and losing one's temper, losing control, then uh, leads the way and opens the door for more ill and more evil. 
Let me suggest to you, secondly, that there's danger involuntarily associated with quick-tempered people. Now, we're familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33, where it talks about evil company corrupting good morals. And the, and the flip side of that has to be true, and that good company helps to instill good values or good morals or good habits. But let me suggest to you also in Proverbs 22 and verse 24, where there the wise man says this, he says, make no friendship with an angry man and with a furious man do not go, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. The NIV, for those of you that are reading from the NIV, says, do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Now, you can't always control your relationships in life, business relationships, clients, co-workers, even supervisors, sometimes are hot-tempered individuals. And so you have to have somewhat of a relationship with them. But we need to be careful about those relationships and never allow them to violate the principle of 1 Corinthians 15.33 and tear us down. Rather, let us be the catalyst for good in trying to build them up and to make them better. And then let me suggest to you thirdly and finally that quick-tempered men and women must learn sometimes the hard way of their sinfulness. Proverbs 19, verse 19, a passage that we're going to close with says, a man of great wrath, a man of great wrath will suffer punishment. For if you rescue him, you'll have to do it what? Again. And if you're reading from the NIB, it says a hot-tempered person must pay the penalty, rescue them, and you'll have to do it all over again. That doesn't mean, again, that there is no hope for someone who is hot-tempered or short-tempered. It just means that we've got to be cautious with those individuals and try our very best by our examples, by our words, and by our deeds to try to move them from one extreme to the other extreme. Not necessarily to be like us because we are filled with fault as well, but hopefully be like us in the sense that they want to be like Christians and want to become a child of God because after all, Jesus is the perfect example of the whole bit. So how do you beat a quick temper? That's probably a sermon in and of itself, but let me close with just three or four things real quickly here. If you've got a quick temper, if you say that, or, or maybe you say, I, I, I don't, but sometimes I do, you know, once every few years, I, I do lose my temper, and I, I want to improve on that, and that, that's a good thing. The first thing you've got to do, and I did not borrow this from AA, but I borrowed this from AA, is that you've got to admit you've got a quick temper. You've got to admit that to yourself. You know, that's true with any sin, is it not? If you are struggling with idolatry, if you are struggling with a love of money, if you are struggling with uh, uh, some sort of immoral behavior, you've got to first admit to yourself and maybe to a handful of Christians that you trust or maybe to an entire congregation if, if you saw that being fit, hey, I'm struggling with this. This is something that I really struggle with. And I'd like for you to pray for me and to pray with me in my difficult time, which takes us back to the scripture reading that our brother Derek took us to in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, where it says, so let a man examine himself. Let a man put himself under a microscope. Let each man and each woman go to the spiritual physician and have a complete workup. 
How are you doing? How's your hearing? How's your speech? How's your sight? How's your walk? You know, we need the doctor, the great physician, Jesus Christ himself, to diagnose us and say, here are the areas where you're doing really well, and here's maybe two or three areas for you to improve. If you were to sit on the examining table of heaven and God, the physician, were to give you a workup, what would it show? And I'm not necessarily sure I would like all the things that it would show about me because I don't want to be that transparent with someone. But the Lord, as we studied this morning in Genesis chapter 6, sees all and knows all. Secondly, recognize that a quick temper causes harm. Recognize that and say, you know, I don't want to continue in this because it's causing harm in the lives of people that I care about. How many families, how many marriages have been torn apart because of quick tempers? Whether that be that of the man or that of the woman is is insignificant. But the fact is, is a marriage is not what it should be when you have one person who is quick-tempered. A job situation becomes miserable. A church can be divided. Let me suggest to you, thirdly, that you pray fervently for assistance. We are to come to our God, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, in time of need. And number four, surround yourself with mature Christians who will hold you accountable. And if they're mature Christians or maturing Christians, there'll be individuals who will not say, I got you, you lost your temper again. But they'll say, I see that you've lost your temper or more likely you've admitted it to them. And now you can work at that together because this is what we need, help with one another. If you struggle with a hot or quick temper, all hope isn't lost. The fact is, is God provides a way of escape and provides you with an opportunity to make things better in your life and consequently to make things better in the lives of those around you. If we can help you with your temper, not because we are perfect. None of us are going to say, well, I I manage my anger perfectly. Nobody in their right mind is going to admit that because we all struggle to some degree. But we are here as a team, and we're here as a group of Christians. We're here as a congregation of the Lord's people who are to assist you, help you, and cry with you, and rejoice with you when you succeed in the future. If we can help you to grow as a Christian, or as we started, if you're not a Christian... We want you to consider becoming a child of God today, to be baptized, to have your sins washed away, having repented of those sins and to confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. If we can help you in any way, let us know while together we stand and while we sing.